So this Advent, we will spend our four weeks looking at the life and attitudes and heart of Mary. And in this first week, we see that Mary's treasuring and pondering is a prime model or example of our church's focus, our core value of reflection, of slowing and pausing, resting, reflecting in quiet contemplation. And never for its own sake, but always for the sake of cultivating devoted followership to Jesus. And as Trevecca alluded to in our opening, in terms of discipleship to Jesus, in the kingdom that he revealed and taught, Mary in treasuring and pondering is perhaps the best example of seeing the implications of Jesus's parable of the treasure buried in the field and the pearl of great price. Those parables were given to us by Jesus to help us see what is it that you value the most. That's the whole point of a pearl of greatest value or a treasure buried in the field. They're meant to help us come to see what's real about us, not in a judgmental way, but just to understand what's real. What is it that you actually treasure? Not what you think you should treasure, not rooted in a religious something you ought to treasure, but what is it that we instinctually treasure? What is it that we value the most? And the reason this is important questions is that we're likely then to ponder what it is that we treasure. We're likely to think about those things that we actually treasure in our heart. And it was to that reality that Jesus was thinking when he said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And in the context in which Jesus said that, that had a tinge of warning to it. It meant that if one's treasure is on earth, then one's heart and attention will also be on earthly matters, which meant to the exclusion of God. And this is the stark choice then that those parables are meant to place before us that Jesus said a few sentences later that no one can serve two masters, that adoration of the one feeds contempt for the other. Or Paul had something like this in mind in Colossians 3 when he says, set your minds and hearts on things which are above, where Christ is meaning set your heart and mind on Christ. And it's that backdrop from which Mary stands out in such amazingly wonderful relief. She made her choice, and through a careful, watchful heart, she treasured the unfolding story of God. She became aware of what was happening to her, and that this story had a long beginning, you might say, all the way back to Abraham in Genesis 12. But we pick up in our readings, these classic Advent readings, if you look at your passage in Jeremiah 33, this is Jeremiah prophesying within this very harsh narrative in which the people of God are exiled, waiting, longing. There are people living in the despair of crushed dreams and are looking for a good promise to be fulfilled when God would come and release them from their bondage. And so in verse 14, where it says, the days are coming, those are the days that the shepherds and Mary are experiencing. But what's shocking 
Is it this righteous, fresh, and true branch that was, that was to sprout from David's line? The Messiah who would come and set things right is sprouting from the womb of a young virgin. No one saw that coming. So there's this general awareness of this story. And the reading in 1 Thessalonians 3 also points us to a hopeful narrative that's unfolding where, where Paul prays that the Thessalonian church might be infused with strength and purity and filled with confidence. And then note, when our master Jesus arrives with all of his followers. That little word, when, implies a point in time of a story. And of course, story implies unfolding time. And unfolding, of course, means that something's coming and it's not here yet. And the not here yet means waiting. And this is the, this is the sort of penitential point of Advent that we would learn to wait. Because what was true for Jeremiah's time, waiting to be delivered, what was true for Mary's time, what was true for the time of the Thessalonian church, is true for us in learning our Advent waiting on the second coming of Christ, when, when this story will end in the way that God intended it to end. And so the notion of unfolding story means that we live into this with an imagination that allows us to lean into God's promised alternative future in hopeful devotion. And in this, I want to say this morning in this first week on Mary, that is in this way and in many others that Mary is our mentor. She is the classic mentor of hopeful, devoted Advent waiting. And this morning we'll see that as we focus on her, the famous description of her, that Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them, holding them dearly, deeply in her heart. And so what makes Mary a model of faith is not only her willing submission to God's will, but her very real struggle with what it might mean for her life. It's really crucial, maybe especially crucial, uh, I don't know who this is crucial for, but it's really crucial, <laughs> that Mary's not a passive victim. And that's like a really important cosmic and today truth, that this woman is not a passive victim. She's not just a historical accident. She's not merely an object that was acted upon. No, Mary is a subject in her own right. Mary is an actor. Chosen, yes, but she accepted, she acted, she became willing. In Mary was a wholehearted, devoted participation in divine initiative in the creative, miraculous action of the Holy Spirit. Versus, you know, she could have reacted as this being kind of an inconvenient truth, an inconvenient imposition. She might have said, oh man, me and Joe were planning on going to that fancy restaurant in LA for our engagement. And we had a destination wedding planned. And we were going to go to Paris or Hawaii, you know, for our honeymoon. And this is kind of inconvenient. But again, this is where Mary is a towering figure 
in all of church history. As the model of the cooperative friend of God, I can never remember exactly the years I was doing my doctoral work, but after my doctoral work is when I wrote my first book, Christianity Beyond Belief. And in that book, I wanted so badly, I think I failed at it, but I wanted so badly to find a fresh way of saying, like, this is what Christianity is all about. It's about following Jesus for the sake of others. And I tried really hard to find some fresh, simple, creative way to say that. And I, I came up with these four phrases that are at the heart of that book. It means to be the cooperative friend of Jesus. I mean, again, you could just go away for a week-long retreat on that one idea. What would it mean to be the cooperative friend of Jesus? And I don't think I thought of it at the time I say to my own shame, but I wish I would have thought of Mary. And I, I wish she would have been the star of that chapter. I don't, I don't think, I don't remember, but I don't think she is. Um, but I wish she would have been. Because she's just this clear towering example of what it would mean to be the cooperative friend of Jesus. To seek to live a life of constant creative goodness was my second idea. Thirdly, for the sake of others and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it just is so amazing to me to not picture Mary as this passive victim, but she herself is active in cooperating with God. She herself is a subject doing action. And so Mary, with her questioning and pondering, shows us the way for our own Advent devotion to practice living attentively to the present moment, to not just endure it, but to ponder it, to realize that there is no you apart from your life as you presently experience it, and that it's in that life, whether it seems convenient or inconvenient, that you must find the goodness of God. And Mary found the good, great, powerful God in her life as she was experiencing it. She didn't just endure it. She treasured it. She saw that God was in this moment, that God is always in the chaos and in the commonness. And this is meant to do something in us like it did to Mary, to give us a kind of letting go that's rooted not in despair or passive, pessimistic fatalism, Mary wasn't a fatalist. Mary was full of solid, devoted hope. And as I sat with this this week, I had the, what to me is a lovely thought, is that every week in Eucharist, we have this giant assist to ponder the things of God in our hearts as we rehearse this story and do this in the remembrance of me. And so this weekly invitation to Eucharist is to help us ponder these things so thoroughly that we're transformed and that we gain the practices that Mary had of living in loving contemplation of the person and work of Jesus and how the church historically has seen such contemplation as the path to union with Jesus, to close apprenticeship to him. And that pondering the mysteries of Jesus' life with faith is meant to bring us into transforming communion with him. And so the very act of pondering, of turning God's words over and over in her mind, that kept Mary's heart steadfast to her calling, kept her firmly secured in God's purposes for her life. She didn't veer off course 
because her mind and heart continually rehearsed God's word. It was her treasure. And so her heart was naturally and intuitively and instinctually there. You all know, I think, that in our adult discipleship class before church, we've been studying Dallas Willard's book, Life Without Lack. And in there, in the first couple chapters, Dallas makes the point that nothing is more important as the animating factor of our lives than our minds. Now, Dallas doesn't mean to say that only cognition matters. He just means to say that it's basically true that it is through our mind that we interact with life. And so nothing is more important than our mind, and nothing is more important about our mind than what we think about God, than what we treasure and ponder, or not. Well, as we come to this first week, of, at the end of this first week of thinking about Mary, think of what has come to us and to humanity because of Mary's heart and Mary's mind her hopeful devotion. As the mother of God, she is the guarantee of Christ's humanity, which ensures us of all kinds of spiritual ideals and important doctrines. But just think this one, that like Jesus in the flesh as the son of God, that he knew and bore our human pain. And without Mary, you have no hope for that. Your pain when you felt rejected, your pain when your spouse divorced you suddenly, your pain when a child was sick and you worried that he or she might die, your pain when you were misjudged at work, your pain when you think your neighbors don't like you, your pain you feel for being a woman, or your pain you feel for being black or Asian or Hispanic. Without Mary, there is no assurance that Jesus is with us in that pain. She is the guarantee of his humanity. Are you feeling me here? She's the, she's the one who makes us know that Jesus isn't an idea. Again, we don't have time to talk about all the doctrines that hang out of this, but there's a lot of doctrines that hang out of this. She's our guarantee that Jesus isn't an ideal. He's not an idea. He's He's not, you know, maybe human or something. That she, she is the one who helps us know that he identifies with human life. Mary's the mother of the Savior of the world. And as such is the guarantee of the renewed cosmos. She's the one who helps us know that what we read in Revelation isn't just wishful thinking that the renewed heavens and the, and the renewed our earth and our participation in it forever and ever, in a sense, is sort of guaranteed by the Christ who came to show us that this is true through Mary. As Trevecca said as we were beginning, Mary's the prime symbol of the church. She's like the prime icon of the church who is meant to bear the word of God to the world. And that she, along with Abraham, is a model of what election means and what of equipping means. That she wasn't just chosen, but she was equipped to be who she is. And in that sense, Mary's a sign that a new beginning has actually dawned, that the prophets were hoping for and that John the Baptist pointed to, that this new beginning is actually dawning and that these last things will actually occur one surprising day. So I was, I was sitting at my desk like typing everything I just said out. 
And I don't know why, but I, I just flashed to my CV, to my resume. And I flashed to all the nice things that people say about me when they're introducing me to speak. And I just started laughing. I thought, you compare my resume to Mary? <laughs> Did you hear what I just said to you the last three or four minutes? <laughs> and I just thought, like, what the heck? I mean, she's just towering and stunning and indescribably important and just sits at the middle of everything that we care about. And in terms of Advent, she is our icon of hopeful devotion. And then my mind came back to kind of a final serious thought. I thought again of Eucharist. I thought of the table. As a weekly way to be nourished in the presence of Jesus, his real presence nourishing our hearts with Advent hope, hope for the sake of the redemption of the world, and our participation with him in the new heavens and the new earth. To do so, I thought, we need the simple bent of Mary's heart. That simple thing in her that makes her such a spiritual giant. That Mary, treasuring and pondering, simply said, yes. Maybe this morning in this quiet moment, you can identify a place where you would like to say yes. Maybe there's something that's been challenging or something that's been unclear. But in this moment, the spirit working with you, maybe you can identify a place to say yes. It might be little, just a practice, just a first step. Maybe just a dipping of your toe in the waters of yesness.